it is the time of the year now when we spend time thinking about nature, if we think of it at all, we tend not to think very nice things, right? We tend to think about the shovels we got to pull out. We got to think about the ways we scrape our windshields with freezing rain. We think about how we need to bundle ourselves up and how nice it is for us to get out of nature when we gather into our homes. And yet, nevertheless, despite the challenges that winter brings, it is also an opportunity for us to reflect on the glory of what nature is, the glory of creation, and the glory of having little animals we call pets in our own homes in a way that reminds us of the goodness of God. I want to speak to you today about our interdependence in creation, to speak to you today about what caring for animals teaches us about God, and also what caring for animals and observing them teaches us about us. As we begin today, I just wanted to say, I'm not going to address it much, that Joel passage, but to reflect on how beautiful it is that this is a passage in which the prophet, Joel, is speaking not to human beings, he's speaking to the earth and even to the soil, and how it is that the soil which has suffered under the oppression of drought and hard times will be blessed by the Lord. And that, I think, sets the tone for today, which is Rogation Sunday. It sets the tone saying that God is not just concerned with us as human beings, but in his grace and in his love concerned with all of his creatures, even the inanimate creatures of the earth, the stone, and the rocks. We look at these passages and it reminds us that we have a responsibility to look ahead and beyond just ourselves and to think about what we learn about the Lord and about this world by caring for and acknowledging the beauty of the world around us. I'd like to start today by actually going right to the very beginning of the scriptures and to Genesis. Because I think one of the things that Genesis tells us in the first chapters where God creates the heavens and the earth and all that teems and lives within them is that it underlines for us, first of all, the complete interdependence all creatures have in one another. And how I want to, to, to point that out is to note, as we begin listening to God creating all things, the change that happens in who's doing all the action. Let's start off at the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. So this is the first thing that God does. Verse 3, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. Then in verse 6, God said, Let there be a dome in the midst of the waters. Let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome and separated the waters from under the dome for the waters that were above the dome. Verse 9, God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place and let the sky and land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters were gathered together and he called seas. Notice a change in verse 11. God said, let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with the seeds in it. Then a little bit later, it says... <clears throat> Verse 20, God said, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth and across the dome of the sky. Then verse 24, God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things and wild animals of the earth of every kind. Do you notice the difference? God said light, God snaps his fingers, does it all by himself. God says, let there be a dome on above the, uh, the, the earth that separates the waters from above the earth to below. God snaps his fingers and it's done. You know where the change happens? After God creates the earth, then God doesn't just snap his fingers and bring forth vegetation. He says a command to the earth, let the earth bring forth vegetation. 
He gives a command to the sea, let the sea bring forth all these creatures. He gives a command to the earth, let forth animals come. And a little bit later, that charming uh, time where God takes the earth, the very dust of the earth, and he forms a human being out of it and blows into that human being's nostril. I'm going to talk a little bit in a moment about what that sets apart for human beings, but I want to underline here how it is the consistency here in which the earth brings forth every animal, the earth brings forth every vegetation, it brings forth every fish and swimming creature, and the earth is the raw material God uses to bring forth even human beings. Now, interesting, it's on the sixth day, the very same day that animals and human beings are created. And this is something deeply important for us to appreciate because it recognizes that this is not a group of, of pinballs kind of thrown, bouncing into each other in this world. Instead, it is a world in which all of us come from the same basic elements and all of us depend one upon another. Now, that may seem obvious to us. Of course, we depend on food. Of course, we depend on animals. And of course, we depend on the air and the rain and the sun. And yet, I'd like to suggest to you that that interdependence of all the beings and creatures within this earth is actually something that our modern world helps us always to forget, and sometimes our modern world actively attacks. Think about how often I've spoken to you about the dangers of consumerism, for example, and how it is that we are told all the time, you are the boss, you're autonomous, your choices are what matter. We got what? Smartphones? We have apps? You want to buy something on Amazon? Click. While you're bored during the sermon time, you can be scrolling through and think, I'd like to buy this book, or I'd like to do this, or I'd like to play a game on something. Or if you are wanting in February, I would really like to have some strawberries. What do you do? You go down to the grocery store knowing that a strawberry cannot be grown within a thousand miles of this place, and yet you will find nice juicy strawberries that you can purchase for a price, but you can do all of these things because you want to do it and that's what matters. And yet at the same time, we are often encouraged to say or not to think about the effect that these things have. Where does that strawberry come from? Why, uh, where does this smartphone come from? Where do all the things I depend on come from? We forget that we are dependent, in fact, upon many things that all come together in order for us to have them. One of my favorite times of the year is when we get into August and September. The person we all know and love, Lisbeth, always brings for us what? Baskets of vegetables. And this woman, and I'm not, uh, I know you're not ever supposed to say a woman's age, but she freely admits she's over 90 years old now. And you know what happens when she gathers and brings those vegetables? Yes, she says, this is for a donation and I want to, to help people in Cambodia to build a well. Fantastic. But you know what I love most about it? It's not even the, the wonderful taste of fresh grown vegetables. It's that the person sitting next to those vegetables paid a price for those vegetables to be created. She tilled the soil in the spring and she planted each of those seeds to make these things grow. She watered it at times where there was drought. She sat in a chair and I know because of her age, she tells me she sits in a chair and pulls out the things while she sits because she can't stand for long periods of time. And she washes them off and she gathers them up and she puts them into the basket and she comes here and she walks and sits next to that, ta to that uh, chair. And as we walk by, we give her a donation and we take these things and right there we are saying and acknowledging that what I am enjoying is dependent upon the labor and the work and the knowledge and maturity and sacrifice of the woman sitting right next to these vegetables. That is something that we used to know when we all lived on farms and we don't. 
One of the things that Genesis reminds us of is to say that our modern world has many blessings. I'm not saying don't buy a smartphone. I'm not saying, you know, tear down the industrial complex. I'm glad we have antibiotics and the benefits that industrial life brings to us. But there is a danger that we always need to lean against, to forget that we are dependent on this earth. I think this is an encouragement for us to find small ways wherever we can to say, yes, we are going to be separated by virtue of the fact that we live in the modern world, but do not dis- uh, Uh, But find places where you can remind yourself that even if we're separated, we're still dependent upon the fruitful earth. How wonderful it is, even if you can't pull out a big garden the way that Elizabeth does, to put out a few tomato plants on your deck, to maybe put a couple of, of carrots in the place where you normally plant flowers, so that in the time of harvest, you can pull this out and say, this carrot came to me because... I fertilized the ground because the sun shone on it, because God sent down rains, and the thing that is crunching between my teeth came as a result of the goodness of the Lord and reminds me I am dependent upon the earth around me. It's an important thing to remind us we are not gods. God is God, and God is the one who animates this world and lets us depend upon one another. There's another thing that happens in Genesis. I mentioned to you that the plants and animals of this earth not only uh, tell us about the interdependence we have, they also tell us something about the nature of God. Listen to, I, I mentioned how when, when Adam uh, was created, that there's a difference as well as a similarity. But notice again the difference about how it is that God creates human beings and sets them slightly apart but in important ways. It says, uh, verse 25 of chapter 1 in Genesis, God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind, the cattle of every kind, and everything that creeps upon the earth of every kind. God saw that it was good, And then God says something that he's not said about any of the other creatures. He says in verse 26, Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, over the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. If we look a little bit later, if you read through Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, are both different uh, accounts of the same thing, talking about how God created. And there's a a beautiful way that God speaks about the way that human beings are created. It says this um, in chapter 2, verse 7. The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. God gives special attention and names this person as someone made in his image, something set apart, and gives him dominion over the animals. A little bit later is that charming story that we maybe remember from Sunday school, where God took the man and put him in the garden, and and then uh, God said, it's not good that the man should be alone, verse 18. I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every animal of the field, every bird of the air, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. But then, for the man, there was not found a helper as his partner. Interesting that God names the earth, God does this, God does, God does, God does, and then we find the human being set apart, the human being given a special task, and the human being looking at all the animals and recognizing there's something different about me from all of the animals that I see. There is something set apart about human beings in which human beings name the animals, they have a responsibility over the animals, and what's interesting about this is God's relationship to human beings is similar to human beings' relationship to the creatures and particularly to the animals. 
There is a special responsibility we have towards animals to treat them in the way that God treats us. And that tells us, I think, something wonderful about God, and I'll tell you why. Have any of you got fish in an aquarium at home? No? Crickets? Well, <laughs> a little while back, uh, when Stephen and Norma were moving into a new house, uh, Stephen gave me his aquarium equipment because he didn't, thought I, I wasn't going to use it again. And so my, my kids were thinking, oh, Daddy, we want this, we want this. And I was thinking, oh, no, I, I don't really want this. But they insisted, and I said, okay, sure. So you know what you do? You get the aquarium, you fill it up, you put it all right so that it can have the right bacterial content, and you take out all of the heavy metals out of it, and, and then you go to the, the, the store, uh, the pet store, and the kids point out all these beautiful fish that they want to have. And you slowly put them in, and you slowly put them in because you can't throw in 20 fish at once. You do two or three at a time, all of that. Wonderful, and they could not help themselves when it's time for, for them to get up in the morning and sprinkle the fish food. Fantastic. But let me tell you something. Their enthusiasm waned a couple of weeks later when algae started growing on the tank. And what you got to do is scrape down the tank, replace some of the water, replenish it. And suddenly, all this excitement started to get less and less and less. And of course, over time, they wake up in the morning later and later, and they don't want to sprinkle the fish food on. And you know who needs to do it? It's dad, right? And even myself, over the next few months, I thought my enthusiasm is getting a little bit less and less. I kept going on, and so it's been a few years now. But I will tell you that many times I've looked at this tank, and I've said to myself, ah, maybe I need to give these fish a burial at sea, because they're an awful lot more difficult than I want it to be. But you know, each time I do that, I look at these little fish, and these little fish never express their gratitude to me. They've never left a note scrawled in the algae, thank you, Stephen, for all the good work you've done. And they're not on their little fins thanking the Lord for the way that Stephen provides for them. There's nothing I'm getting out of these fish that seem totally oblivious to what I'm doing. But I look at these fish, and I look at the little tetras, and I look at the, the different fish that are there, and I look at them swimming around, and they're beautiful. And I also look at the excitement when I sprinkle the, the food and they all nip up, 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 up in this feeding frenzy. And it's beautiful. And I look at that and think, you know what? I have a responsibility. These fish didn't ask to be in my aquarium. They didn't ask to be born. They didn't choose me. I chose them. And I put them here. And I have a responsibility to them until their life comes to an end. And so I've committed. I'm not going to get new fish, but I'm going to care for the little ones that I got right there. And that tells me something about a relationship to the Lord. Think about how often we go through our lives in which we're not really thanking God very much. Think about how often we go through our lives and forget the dependence we have upon the sun and upon the rains and how it is we'll go through an entire day without giving much of a thought to God. And yet think about how often too through the scriptures, it's not just that people don't give a thought, it's that God creates uh, human beings and he puts them in the garden and he says, you know what, eat anything. Let's just keep this real simple. One tree, that's the only thing I tell you, don't touch it. And what do they do? They touch it. Or think about how right after Cain and Abel, Cain kills Abel. Think about after how they build this Tower of Babel because they want to be like God. Or think about how the Israelites are rescued from slavery and they say, we will let you will be our God and we will be your people. And then as Moses is talking to God, he comes down and they're already making an idol. Or think about the ways that again and again, the prophets say, you Israelites know better and yet you're oppressing the poor and you're making war on enemies and, and you're doing all of these terrible things. And in fact, supremely as Christians, we recognize God comes to us himself. And what do we do? We kill him. And what does God do as a result of that? Wipe out the earth? Snap his fingers and say it's not worth it? Instead, what do we find? We find the sustenance 
and the grace and the love of God persisting in caring for these creatures, loving these creatures, even recognizing the value, as Joel tells us, of the soil. Of how it is even the soil and the inanimate things are things I love and provide for and I see their misery and their hurt and I care for them. We think about the way we care for our pets. Remember that this is actually an opportunity for us to look at the Lord and say, this is the way the Lord loves us. He gives us a responsibility to care for these animals and we are to be like God is to us. We care for our little fish. We care for our gerbils. We care for our iguanas. We care for our pets. And if we're so lucky to be farmers living off the earth, we have a responsibility towards the animals that we milk and that we depend upon to care for them and treat them well. Because in doing so, we are in fact living examples, living out the image of what God is. Having creatures around us reminds us of what God is like. But I'm going to end by saying it also tells us something important about what we are to be like. You notice in that story I just mentioned how it is all the animals come to Adam and consent to be told what they are? How beautiful that is. But also one of the most beautiful poetic parts in all of Scripture is what Jesus says in the Gospel lesson today. Jesus says, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or your drink or your body and all of these things. And God says wonderfully, he says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valued than them? Or in, in, in one of my favorite verses, he says, why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, tomorrow thrown into oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? What is Jesus doing here? He's pointing to the natural world and the way that God provides her it and says, take a lesson from the birds of the air. Take a lesson from the soil. Take a lesson from the animals we see around us and see how is it that they look to the Lord. They look to the Lord and recognize his provision. Even though they can't speak about it, in their own silent way, they proclaim the glory and the graciousness of God. And we are to do the same. Again, I'll tell you a story from my household. My doggie will be here for the 11 o'clock service when we do our pet blessing. Do you know what's wonderful about having a dog? When I open the door, the very first thing I hear is, Scrabble, 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 because this dog runs to the front door so she can be there and have her ears scratched. Now, I'm sure she doesn't know. Why does this guy leave me for hours and hours? Does he not realize I'm here waiting for him? I often think maybe I should get one of those nanny cams and see what my dog is up to while I'm away because I don't know what she's doing, but she certainly is happy. You know, when my kids were toddlers, they did that. It's been a very long time since my wife did that and greeted me at the door with that enthusiasm, but my doggy always does. Or think about when my dog is hungry. What does she do? Thankfully, uh, she doesn't chew on my, my slippers and things. When she's hungry, she comes to me and whines. Mm, 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 looking for a treat. Or when she needs to go to the washroom, she comes to me and whines and, and stands at the door. And so they need to go out and pee. In fact, her entire life revolves around me. And what's so wonderful about this is that this is an animal that has its own character. I love when I take her to the doggy park and she frolics around with doggies and all that other kind of excitement. But whenever she does, she's always looking back to make sure I'm still there. It's wonderful. I take delight in this and I take delight in the fact that this animal looks to me for everything. And even when she's misunderstanding, doesn't know where I go, when I come back, the joy is always there. Is that not a picture of what our life with our Lord should be? And think about how it is God uh, is saying through his son Jesus, Look, the birds, the, the, the trees, the, the, the flowers, these are all clothed by God. Don't worry, God loves you. 
If these are all the things you're worried about, you're, you're really off track. Instead, take a lesson from the pets that love us and they come up to us and say, I trust you. I'm just glad to be with you. I know you're going to provide for me. I don't doubt it at all. Even though at times I'm probably confused about what you're up to, I always look to you because you, in the end, are the source of my enjoyment. You're the end and source of my nutrition. You are what I depend on for everything. Isn't that something that God is telling us? says, we worry about so many things. And truer words have never been spoken when Jesus says, who by worrying has added so much as an hour to our lifespan? In fact, by worrying, science tells us it takes away many hours. The stress and the anxiety and the worry of modern life undercuts all the time the joy and the lifespan and the excitement we can have out of life. What does Jesus tell us? Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Can we learn the lesson from the pets that we love to say, our Lord is there for us. Our Lord cares for us. Our Lord provides for us. And we will not always understand what the Lord is up to. And sometimes we will wonder, how is it possible that he has left us? And yet he's provided for us the fruitful earth. He's provided for us the environment in which we should live. He's in fact provided for us eternal life through his son, Jesus. So what do we learn? Today on Rogation Sunday, I think it's just a great reminder as we head into the darkness of winter that even though everything seems to be dead and hibernating, our Lord is still active. He is replenishing the earth. He is making the earth ready to spring up again in the spring. And we may wonder why is it so harsh? And yet we all know that the spring lies ahead where we can celebrate the beauty of nature springing forth on life again. Our Lord loves us. Let today be a reminder of that. We look to the Lord as animals look to the Lord, as the fruits and vegetables and the trees look to the Lord, as the whole earth looks to the Lord. Let us join all of creation in looking to the Lord and celebrating the goodness of our God, who cares not just for us, but cares even for the sparrow that falls out of the sky. This is the God we serve, and this gives us reason to give him praise.